Thanks for joining us here on the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Steve Horton, and I'm the Communications Director here at Rolling Hills. This week, we continue to celebrate the season of Lent. We're in our second sermon of our Easter series. Although we know Jesus overcame death, we would all do well to take some time reflecting on this part of the story. God has sent His Son to serve a sinful humanity, and man brutally and mercilessly put Him to death. How did God take this bleakest of moments and turn it into good? Scripture holds the answers, and we can't wait to explore them with you today. Well, good morning to each and every one of you. When, when you stop to think about it, life has some really tough questions, does it? Some what I like to call complicated questions, some nuanced questions, uh, some questions that if we stop to ponder, they really just make us think. They're questions that don't have easy answers. In fact, what I like to call sometimes tough questions, and sometimes these questions are really, really heavy. And sometimes there's just tough questions that are just kind of really fun or really silly or really bizarre. For example, why does your team play really, really well all season? (laughs) And then when it comes time to the tournament or the playoff game, they run out of steam. And you think to yourself, the wrong time to run out of steam was when your team or my team ran out of steam. How about this one? You go to a restaurant. Why do salads cost $17.99? I mean, I'm all for eating healthy, but come on now. $17.99 for some lettuce and a few pieces of chicken. I mean, why do people overshare? Think about it. You're sitting a coffee with someone, and you think to yourself, this was the appropriate time for you to unload all of your medical history? You know, right here in the the coffee shop, and you think to yourself, hmm, I'm not sure why you chose to do that. How about this one? Who closes the bus door when the driver gets off the bus? Have you ever stopped to think about it? I mean, how, does they, how do they close the door once the driver gets off the bus? Why does glue not stick to the inside of the bottle? I mean, these are life's pondering questions. I mean, things that I set up night and think about, like how is it what glue sticks to everything? Why does it not stick on the inside of the bottle? These are pressing questions. They're tough questions. But on a much more serious note, however, we also have some tough questions that we grapple through, some things that just maybe don't make sense to us. Why do people not get along? Why is there so much division in our world? Why is there so much hate? Why is there so much political strife? Why do we struggle to be around people that might see the world a little bit differently than we do? Why do people automatically go worst case scenario in every situation known to man? Why is there war? And so whether it's funny or whether it's serious, you and I are very aware of these questions that are tough questions. And so this morning, I want to address a very tough question. And it's a question that comes up from time to time in conversation, but it's also a question that is at the center of this Easter story. We're in the second week of our Easter sermon series. And if you're here and you profess to know Jesus Christ, then this is a question that you have had to answer. And if you're here and you're struggling in your faith, this is a question that you're going to have to answer. If you want to grow in your faith journey, advance in your faith journey, this is a question that you have to begin to continue growing in. And to be honest with you, it might be one of the most important questions that I'm ever going to seek to ask you and help bring an answer to. And because I'm your pastor and your friend, know that I'm so glad that you're here. And I don't believe it's by accident that any of you are here. And so I want to pray to ask God to speak to us today as we look at this question here in just a moment. But before we go any further, let's just continue to ask him to come and do what only he can do in this place. And just know again how grateful I am that you're here with us this morning. Lord, thank you for this day. I thank you for each and every person that you've assembled together today. I pray that in our time together, we would be encouraged by your word, that we'd be challenged, that we'd be refreshed, that we'd be renewed. We thank you for this incredible time of the year, this Easter season. We thank you, God, for sending your son, Jesus, to give us life 
and to give us hope and to give us freedom. And so we pray, God, that in all things today, you would be honored in the way that we live and the time that we spend together and that we would walk away today changed, God, because of you. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray and ask all of these things, amen and amen. The text that I'm gonna read to you today that's gonna help us answer this question comes from Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, verses 21 through 32. If you have a mobile device, hop online. You can follow along in God's word. You're gonna see these words up here on the screen as well. But I wanna read this to you. Mark chapter 15, verses 21 through 32, starting in verse 21. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. And they crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, so you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. And those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. So the question at hand this morning that I want us to all begin wrapping our mind around is simply put, why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus have to die? Have you ever stopped to think about that question? It's a tough question. Why did Jesus have to die? We're in this, again, Easter series, and I'm excited. I am so excited. As Laura said a few minutes ago, I'm excited about Resurrection Sunday when we talk and celebrate the empty tomb. But we have to answer this question today. Why did Jesus have to die? And you see in the text that you unfolding, that story is unfolding before you in this crucifixion story. And this crucifixion story is a really hard story to read. In fact, it's one of those stories that kind of needs to have a, um, a, a disclaimer due to the graphic nature of the story, because crucifixion was a really arduous way to die. It was a really painful way to die. It was intentionally a slow, long-suffering, excruciating way to die. But it wasn't just the crucifixion that we see in this moment. It was also the insults that were hurled at Jesus. You see the people who are sitting at the foot of the cross and they're casting lots, which is kind of like rolling dice to see who gets the clothes that Jesus is wearing. In fact, you see people mocking him. You see the crown of thorns that was placed upon his head. So it was a physical assault, but it was also a verbal assault. It was the ridicule of the crowd saying, you said you could save others, but yet you can't save yourself. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Why can't you bring yourself off that cross and show us that you really are the Messiah? In fact, did you catch in verse 32 that the two thieves who were crucified on either side of Jesus also began heaping insults upon the man in the middle? So why did it have to happen this way? Why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus have to die? Because your sin demanded it. Why did Jesus have to die? Because your sin demanded it. Isaiah 53, 5 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. 
I love this prophecy from Isaiah because the prophet Isaiah, long before Jesus was ever born, was proclaiming about him, was proclaiming about he, the Messiah, Jesus, who was to come. And what he said about that Messiah is that he was going to be pierced for our transgressions. He would be pierced for our sin. He would be crushed for our wrongdoing and that his punishment would bring you and I peace and that his crucified wounds would ultimately bring the physical and the spiritual and the mental and the emotional healing that we need in our life. But to understand why Jesus had to die, you have to go back even further than the prophet Isaiah. Because to understand that question, why did Jesus have to die, you have to go back all the way to the beginning, all the way back to the quiet garden of Eden, because God created Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve were in perfect communion with God. Sin had not entered the world yet. They were in perfect fellowship. They were in a perfect relationship with God, but sin entered the world. And they went against God's command. And because they went against God's command, the punishment of sin became their story. And the punishment of sin became your story. And the punishment of sin becomes my story. And it's because of sin, we're no longer right in the eyes of God. But what does God want for us? God wants for us to be right. So something had to happen in order for us to be made right with God. So you've got holy God and sinful man Holy God and sinful man. So what does that mean about this separation? It means that our sin had to be taken away for us to be made right with God. Now, in the Old Testament, before Jesus was born, Isaiah was prophesying about this, but Jesus had not come yet. In the Old Testament, it was this sacrificial system. There was still blood that was shed to cover and atone for the sins of the people. And so it was a sacrificial system where they would sacrifice uh, an animal, or they would have these offerings that they would bring. In fact, if you've ever kind of read the Bible chronologically in a kind of a year-long um, kind of process, you're probably in the midst of that right now. In fact, I chose this year to kind of read the Bible through this year in a chronological Bible reading plan. And March and April begins really, really interesting because you get in the book of Leviticus and the book of Numbers. Now, I am self, full self-disclosure. I don't really enjoy numbers when I'm working out problems. I especially don't enjoy reading about numbers. But you're at this part of the story where something begins jumping out at me, and it has just been jumping out time after time, chapter after chapter. And I want to read just a little bit to you in Numbers chapter 29, verses 7 through 11. Listen to this. On the 10th day of this seventh month, hold a sacred assembly. You must deny yourselves and do no work. Present as an aroma pleasing to the Lord a burnt offering of one young bull, one ram, and seven male lambs a year old, all without defect. With the bull, offer a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with oil. With the ram, two-tenths, and with each of the seven lambs, one-tenth. Include one male goat as a sin offering, in addition to the sin offering for atonement, and the regular burnt offering with its grain offering, and their drink offerings. I am well aware this is nobody's favorite Bible verse. Nobody has this, you know, on a, on a, on a, on a plaque in your kitchen that says, gather, numbers, you know, 29, 7 through 11, nothing like an awesome meal with, a, you know, words over your head about sacrificing rams. And uh, I get it. You get lost in the details. But don't miss the fact that what God is doing with this sacrificial system is he was giving his people the ability to be made right. And they were only made right through sacrifice. It was a blood that was shed that took away their sins. Those offerings that they were instructed to bring, those were acts of worship. But just as Isaiah prophesied, the Messiah would come and he would 
be the sacrificial lamb once and for all. Why did Jesus have to die? It's because our sin demanded it. And as Pastor Jeff preached last week, if you didn't listen to Jeff's message, go back and listen to it because what he said last week was so profound because in the first century, not just the first century, in fact, many of us still are looking for the same kind of Messiah. They were looking for a political Messiah. They were looking for someone who would come in kind of as the valiant warrior king, who would come in riding on a white stallion, you know, long flowing locks of hair, you know, the horse reared up on its hind legs, thrusting a sword into the air, basically Braveheart. <laughs> Braveheart is what we were looking for. Braveheart is who the first century was looking for, but who did they get? And who did we get? We got a baby. You're looking for a valiant warrior king, but instead God sends a baby? A baby born of a virgin, that's a likely story, according to the world's standards, whose earthly father was a measly carpenter and who would grow up and preach a sermon or perform a miracle and then would take 40 days to rest. This isn't the savior that the world was expecting, who spent more time in communion with God than he did out working with the masses. And he built a team of fishermen and tent makers, and extremely normal people, the religious elite, the people that you and I would have probably gone after first were the very people that Jesus said, no, I want you to become humble like these others. He would not run from his critics, but rather he would ride into town as his critics were waiting, from, waiting for him. And he didn't ride in on a stallion. He didn't ride in on a Clydesdale. He rode in on a donkey to remind us once and for all who he was, and that he was coming to sacrifice himself to take up on the cross for the sin of all mankind. See, Jesus died. Why? Because our sin demanded it. And what we have to realize about his death, and you see this here on your screen, maybe you want to write some notes down and follow along. What we need to realize about his death is that Jesus' death accomplished the very purpose for which he came to live. Jesus' death actually accomplished the very purpose for which he came to live. Why did he die? Well, your sin demanded it, but it was necessary. Why did God give his one and only son for you? Well, that was God's plan. That was God's predetermined plan from the beginning of time. And it was in the death of Jesus that the purpose of the why became known and it became fulfilled. Why? Because you and I were sinners and we cannot be made whole without this injustice of sin being addressed in our life. Because again, as I've said once this morning already, you have a holy God and you have a sinful man. And because of sin, there's an injustice. It's an injustice against a holy God. And that injustice always creates a debt. It is unjust that we sin against a holy God. So there is a debt that is created in our life. And what do you know about a debt? A debt has to be paid. Imagine for a moment that you're at a restaurant. I'm well aware that all of my illustrations involve food, so, so be it. <laughs> But imagine you're at a restaurant, and has this ever happened to you at a restaurant where you have a server, and there, he's, he's a really good server, but he comes up, and he's the guy who, instead of writing anything down, just remembers everything. And, you know, and I know that that's supposed to be impressive, but it's actually much more impressive to me if you just write everything down so that I know that we're all going to get what we order. And so you order a steak, and you order your steak medium, meaning that when it comes out, it should have some pink in it when you cut open. The steak, everybody places order, the food comes, and you cut into your steak. It is not medium, but it is, in fact, well done. And so now you have this moment, this quandary. What are you going to do? And he comes back and says, how is everything? And so you're kind of presented with one of two choices. Choice one is you say, I ordered a medium steak. This is well done. And the steak goes back to the kitchen. You do not take a steak from well done back to medium. So they throw it away or somebody takes it home later. And 
they cook you a new steak. That's choice number one. Or choice number two is you say, you know what, I'm not going to make a big deal about this. Do you have some A1? Do you have some ketchup? Do you have some kind of liquid that can bring some life back to this thing? And you decide not to make a big deal about it. So let's just think for a second. The fact that your steak came as well done and you ordered it medium, that's the injustice. I know that's a really severe phrase for what happened. But for the sake of an example, that's the injustice. So with those choices, you have choice number one, you send it back, and who foots the bill for the messed up steak? Texas Roadhouse. Because they say, we didn't get this right, so that steak goes in the garbage, and they start from scratch with a new steak for you. They paid that debt for that. Or you decide, you know what, I'm going to make that big deal about it, but your hard-earned money is now covering something that you really didn't want and covering something that really wasn't that desirable. And so either Texas Roadhouse pays the debt or you pay the debt because there was an injustice, a debt was created, somebody paid for that. You paid for it or Texas Roadhouse paid for it. Think about your sin, for example, though. Because of your sin, which is an injustice against a holy God, a debt was created, someone had to pay it. But in this case, you couldn't. You couldn't pay that debt. You could not incur, you do not have enough in your bank account. You do not have enough in your life. You are not God. So therefore, you cannot fully pay the debt for the sin of all humanity. Only Jesus could pay that debt. There was a debt that was created and someone had to pay it because of that injustice. What does that mean? It means, as you see on your screen, so that the death of Jesus meets a need you can't meet yourself. The death of Jesus meets a need that you can literally not meet yourself. Go back to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Look at a few of these words in there. All, like sheep, have gone astray. Who is all? That's me, and that's you. All have turned away. Who is all? That's me. That's you. The Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all all. Who is all? That's you. And that's me. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What does that mean? For all of us, it means that our sin demanded it. Jesus's death accomplished it. A debt has been created, and you and I cannot pay that debt. But we like to think that we can, don't we? Because we're strong, we're wealthy, we're powerful. We fix everything else in our lives, so why can't we fix this? I promise you that if you and I could pay the debt ourselves, we would have already figured out how to do that. If you've ever been in a cycle of addiction, I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but if you've ever been in addiction, or maybe you're currently walking through addiction, or maybe you have a son or daughter who's walking through an addiction, or maybe you have a spouse in the midst of an addiction, one of the things that I know about everyone who is walking through or who has come out of a season of addiction, if you could fix that addiction in your own power, you would have already done it. You just can't. You have to have help. There has to be something else that allows you to break the power of that bondage. Maybe you're stuck in a downward spiral of sin and you're thinking to yourself, I can get through this all by myself. You can't. I hear many times in conversations with people when they say, I just don't feel worthy of what God has done for me, to which my answer is precisely, you shouldn't feel anything but gratitude, knowing that there is a debt that needs to be paid in your life and all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And 
God sent his son Jesus to make that right. It's exactly why God sent his son Jesus. His death meets a need that you can't meet yourself. And so what you have to do is you have to humbly admit to God, I am broken. I am in need. I can't meet all the needs in my own life. And you humble yourself before God, as James 4.10 says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Romans 10.13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Don't you love in Romans 3.23, it says, all have sinned. Everyone has sinned. And in Romans 10.13, it says, everyone, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. I want you to know that here at Rolling Hills, our greatest joy, one of our greatest joys, in fact, I think the greatest joy that we have is to celebrate you humbly saying, I cannot save myself, but through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his death, I can be made whole. And I pray boldly today that that would work its way into this room, that that message would penetrate your heart and it would work its way into your life, that today would be the day that you say that. Maybe you have not made that decision. Maybe you have never bowed humbly before God and said, I know I am broken. I know I am a sinner. I know that because of that, I deserve death. I know there is a debt that has to be paid in my life because of that injustice. I can't do it myself, God. I need you. And I hope and pray that if you have yet to make that profession and that proclamation in your heart and with your life, that today would be the day that you do that. Maybe you have made that proclamation and you've never publicly proclaimed that. And you've never told anyone about that. You've never followed in this outward symbol that we see in Scripture called baptism, which is a physical picture of that. Maybe you've seen a baptism before. We do them here at our church. It's, again, one of our favorite things. What is baptism? It's that physical picture of you going under the water. We don't keep you down there for very long. But it's that physical picture of you going under the water to represent that you're died to your old way of living and that God renews you and cleanses you and you come back up out of that water renewed and refreshed. And it's a symbol, but it's a beautiful symbol of what Jesus modeled, but it's a beautiful symbol of what Jesus came to do. And so this Easter, we want to give you an opportunity to do that. We want to give you an opportunity on this Easter Sunday. In fact, is there a more perfect Sunday of the year to celebrate the renewal of your life than on Easter Sunday? We already have some baptisms lined up for the day, so the tub is already going to be filled. So we would just love to add some more people to it. It's a great celebration. And I encourage you, if you've yet to take that step, or maybe you're contemplating that step, in fact, I would just encourage you to say, you know what, I want to follow through with that. I want to publicly proclaim and say, you know what, I do not belong to myself anymore, but I belong to Jesus. And I want to show you a story. I want to show you a story this morning up here on the screens about a family that was processing through that. And I want you to hear about what God did in their life, and their names are the Francofort family. And I want you to hear from the Francoforts just how God spoke to them about this next step of baptism and how significant it has been for them. So take a look up here on the screens. My name is Ryan Francofort. And I'm Jill Francofort. And we've been going to Rolling Hills now going on four years. So I feel like God led us to be baptized. You know, Ryan came home after a men's retreat that he went on. And, you know, we, we sat in our bedroom and I, I heard about the weekend. And, you know, he we made the decision, you know, we want to follow Jesus. This is what we want for our family. So that led us a few months later to get baptized in front of our church family and friends. And we couldn't be more grateful for the people that God put in our lives 
to get to that point and, and make, that, make that decision. I think God's gonna meet you where you are. You hear that a lot, but it's absolutely true. And I feel like he met me that day of where I was in the wilderness at the men's retreat and spoke to me. And I finally had obedience to listen to what he was saying. And that internally changed me and drove us through this process of wanting to get closer and wanting to be baptized to let people know, like, we love Jesus, we're gonna follow Jesus. and. Yeah, it's been, it's been life altering for us in terms of our, the friends we've made, our marriage, the way we raise our kids, and it's just been incredible. For those of you who are on the fence about getting baptized, um, I would say pray about it. You know, God is constantly talking to you. You just need those small moments of silence where you can sit, reflect, and listen to him, and he will put it on your heart as to what you should do and what his will is. So a lot of times that's all it takes is just listening. You know, we have so much noise in this world, um, but it's easy if you, if you wanna try to turn that noise off and just listen to him. And he'll tell you the direction. And baptism is probably a direction that he wants you to take to just let others know, right? You proclaim your faith in our Lord and Savior. So we, had talked to Kennedy about getting baptized. You know, we, we were just sitting in our home one night and she said, she told Ryan and I, you know, I have Jesus in my heart and I wanna follow Jesus. And I'll never forget that moment. God has kind of created a plan for us over these last couple of years of you know, where he wants us to be involved in the church. And, you, you know, a lot of times you may say, oh, I don't have time to do that. I, you know, I don't, I don't know if I want to do that. And you got to embrace the uncomfortable, right? Yeah. You're going to have uncomfortable times during your life. And I think we've learned that you just embrace them and you'll, you, the experiences you get from that, the rewards are just so much greater than that. So we've been, we've been blessed to be able to be on this journey and, you know, kind of listen to God as he tells us what to do next. So are you ready for that? Is that a step that God's maybe working in your life? And if so, I want to make this as abundantly clear as I know to be. If that's a step that you want to take and you say, I want to do that on Easter Sunday, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take out this connection card. Hopefully one of our amazing greeters outside gave you one of these or at least offered one of these to you. And I want you to write your name on this list. I want you to put an email address, a phone number, some way, give us some way that you actually will answer the email. If we send you an email, some way that we can follow up with you. And I want you to mark on this part of here where it's highlighted down here in, in purple, my next step is baptism. I want you to mark that card if that's a step that you want to take. We're going to reach out to you and we will get that scheduled for Easter. We have five services. You take your pick. Which one your family's going to be here? Which one your friends are going to be here? It is a step of faithfulness, but it's also a step of humility. And it's a humble step because what you are physically and figuratively and literally saying to the church and to the community is, I do not belong to myself anymore. I belong to Jesus and I know what he has done for me. I know that he has saved me. I know that he has changed me and I want the world to know about it. I don't want to hold this inside anymore. In fact, it's you saying I cannot be in control, but I want God to be in control. In fact, the story of the crucifixion shows us some incredible insight into the steps that Jesus wants us to take. Don't you love in this story of the crucifixion, the death of Jesus, just how humble Jesus was. 
and what you and I can learn from his humility, what you and I can learn from the example with which Jesus lived and the example with which Jesus died. And you and I take a next step of faith, and we only take those next steps of faith with humility. Arrogance is never the step of faith that we take that advances us in our walk with God. Humility is the step of faith that we take. Did you catch in Jesus' story, and you see this here on your screen, even in his death, humility took center stage. Even in his death, humility took center stage. Look at verse 31 of Mark 15. In the same way the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves, he saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. What did the crowd do? The crowd put Jesus in a really precarious situation. They hurled insults at him, and the insults that they hurled at him, Jesus could have totally refuted. They said, oh, we thought you were the savior of the world. Why are you hanging up there on the cross? If you're really the Messiah, why don't you come down off that cross and prove to us once and for all? You can save others, but you can't save yourself. Verse 32, let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe these crucified with him also heaped insults on him. See, Jesus could have totally said, oh yeah, watch this. You don't think I can come down off the cross? Watch this. He could have totally flexed his muscle. He could have rained down fire from heaven, and he could have ended it all. He could have said, I am so tired of you thinking I'm not the actual Messiah. You were looking for Braveheart, but you got me, so let me just show you how awesome I really am. But he didn't. He had humble beginnings. He had a humble life. And even in his death, humility took center stage, when he was tempted in the wilderness by Satan, he could have met all of the demands that Satan placed upon him. When all of the religious leaders came to him and said, oh, we don't really know if we believe in you because why would you do this? Why would you do that? He could have made them believe, but he didn't. Humility was always front and center. And as a result of that, I think there's something that God's wanting me to learn from that. Maybe there's something that God's wanting you to learn as well, because humility isn't always our go-to, is it? Humility is not always where we start from. In fact, I think if I could have made a point like Jesus was, could have had the possibility, could have made, you know, I'm not sure that most of us probably wouldn't have flexed our muscle and said, oh yeah, watch this. But he didn't. For Jesus, it was an opportunity to again refine to show the world what it is he came to do. It was an opportunity for him to say, in my life and in my death, I came to accomplish the very reason for which God sent me. Your sin demanded that this happen. And so maybe this week we follow suit and we say, how am I going to outdo others in showing grace and mercy? If insults are flying my way, how am I going to turn the other cheek Because Jesus chose humility, meaning that there's probably something for you and I to grow in as well. So as we wrap up this Sunday, and as we look forward to the next couple Sundays, it's so important to remember this. This sets the stage for where we're headed for the next couple of weeks. With Jesus, death is never the end of the story. With Jesus, death is never the end of the story. What does death signify in our world? Death signifies the end of something. Jesus did not come off the cross but he could have. He didn't come off the cross like they were insulting him to do, but he could have. But rather, instead of coming off the cross, he did something even greater. And you got to come back a couple weeks to hear about that. But in his death, his purpose was fulfilled. 
So if Jesus is the center of your life, friends, I want you to know this. If Jesus is the center of your life, death is not the end of the story. If Jesus is the priority in your life, death is not to be afraid of. Because Jesus dies, but it's certainly not the end. But because of his death, your sin can be paid for. So this morning, I pray that you acknowledge him. I pray that you serve him. I pray that you take that step of faith that he's asking you to take and that you realize once and for all just how good he is and that he is here. He is here for you. He loves you. He has an incredible plan for your life. So I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. I want to give you a chance to respond a chance to reflect, a chance to just say, God, what is it that you're wanting to do in my life this morning? And help me have the courage to take that step. Maybe it's uh, a profession of faith in Jesus for the very first time, or maybe it is that willingness and that desire to say, I want to publicly acknowledge that I know Jesus, or I want to know more about Jesus, and I want to follow in this step of baptism. Or maybe it's something that is completely different. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's freedom that you need from sin. Maybe it's just something in your life that you have tried to fix for way too long, and God's saying, no, I want to be the one that guides you through that. Whatever it might be, just know that in the depths and in the heights, Jesus is there with you, and he wants to be close He wants you to depend upon him. He wants you to rely on him. And so this morning, I pray that you would acknowledge him, that you would hear him, that you would realize the sin in your life demanded that he die. There was a debt, and Jesus paid it. And because he paid it, we can go out of this place with joy, and we can sing, and we can love others well. And so wherever you are on that journey this morning, I pray that you would just respond and hear God loves you and that he's for you and he wants to be close to you. So God, thank you for meeting us here today. We're so grateful for this time of worship. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence in this place. I pray, God, that you would do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine in this place. And I pray that you would do what only you can do in our lives and that you would come and change us, God, from the inside out. Thank you, God, that you are close. Thank you, God, that you love us. Thank you, God, for the peace that we have because we know you. So thank you, God, for your incredible gift of sending your son, Jesus, who died so that we could have life. And it is in his powerful name, in his precious name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. If this podcast episode has blessed you in some way, we hope you will tell a friend about us and subscribe so you can be notified each time we release a new sermon. Be sure to explore our other great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's Podcast as you go. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. See you next time, and God bless.